It is great to be with you. Um, we consider the Dawson family of faith our home. And so thank you um, to, uh, for the privilege of sp speaking um, the word of God with you this morning and looking at it together. But also thank you just for your, your partnership with us. Um, we know that we're confident things would be quite different where we are apart from your prayers. Just as a church, you have had people come through. I know we've actually had the Johnstons come through. They were on a, on a trip going. They were able to spend time with us. Andy Cartier was on a trip. He came through. And then the last two years, you've actually sent short-term trips to come and serve alongside of us in the Middle East. And so thank you. And I know that that's just a representative of part. I know that there are many of you who pray for us regularly. And as a church, you, you partner with us. And so with all sincerity, we, we really want to say thank you. And we are honored to, to be a part of this family and to be an extension of this family of faith on the other side of the globe. And so it truly is a privilege to be here. Our, our, our weekly experience of church is a little bit different than what we get here today. Today it was actually, I mean, I, I, I mean the incredible music, the, the choir, you know, everything going on. And then, then having that moment when we even went a cappella and to have all these voices singing together was just, it just gives me chills. I love it. Such a privilege. When we do church each week, we actually have, we do a house church, and there's anywhere from like 6 to 11. So when we go a cappella, depending on who's there, it's a quite a different experience. Um, and so I was going to say, it's just probably about half of you guys here is our home church. So how about we just do a little service? You guys okay with that? We'll just read and pray and share prayer requests and call today. Sound good? Okay, um, but, but that, that, that's our experience of church. It's, 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 it's a small community in a house. Because what is church? Is church a building? Is church an infrastructure? Is church a program? No, what is church? Church is the people of God gathered together who identify themselves as a body of believers and seek to encourage one another in their growth towards Christ and reaching out into their community. And so it's a privilege to be together with you as a body of believers. I'd be just as happy to be with you outside as inside because it's the people who are the body of Christ. So one of the things that, um, there's a lot of things different from where we are than here. The country that we live in has about 80 million people. But the interesting thing is, the number of believers is only around 8,000. So in other words, there are more people that go to church on Oxmoor Road on Sunday morning then there are total believers in the country in which I live. Most people have never had the opportunity to meet a Christian. Most people have never heard the simple gospel message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and that by faith we receive that forgiveness. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have a renewed, restored relationship with God that starts now in the middle of this broken world and goes through eternity in a perfect relationship with Him. Most have never even heard. And so that, that's where we get to serve. That's where we get to do life. And we greatly appreciate your prayers, and we feel honored to be an extension of, of the Dawson family there. And we're so thankful for your partnership with us. Well, this morning I get to open God's Word, and we get to look at a passage that is actually one that is dear to me, not because I have it figured out, but because I need to come back to it again and again and again and again and again. And did I say again? <laughs> I said again. Okay. 
Well, before we begin, I want to just open with this little simple illustration of when something is missing. We, we, sometimes you can go along, you can realize something's missing. Like, oh, crud, I'm, 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 I'm missing something. You know, like, like today, did I put on both my socks? Yes. I did. I put them both on. You know, if one was missing, it'd be a little awkward. You know, we have two gloves. If one's missing, it's awkward. If you have glasses and one of the pieces of glasses is missing, you're like, what in the world? I can't, you know, it's something's missing, something's wrong. It's funny, we, we came back to the States, the reason why we're here is because our oldest daughter just got married a couple weeks ago. Woohoo, woohoo. It was an exciting, fantastic, intimate family, you know, just te- you know, immediate family, parents, grandparents, wonderful wedding. It was just beautiful, I had a fantastic time. Uh, so we were back for that. And then we also had a conference out in Colorado with all the people that we work with internationally. Um, and then we actually flew in um, last night, and then we will sleep this afternoon, take a nap, um, and then pack up tomorrow and fly out of the country on Tuesday. Um, that's funny. We were going to the wedding, our daughter's wedding. She got married up in Huntsville area. And so one of our other daughters flew in from Denver. So my wife and I went to pick her up at the Birmingham airport. Um, and uh, so you guys must be aware, but it's changed since we were here. The Birmingham airport now has a Starbucks right next to the baggage claim area. <laughs> Does anybody notice that? Okay, you know, now you know, now you know. So while you're waiting for your baggage, you can sort of walk down and get a coffee. Well, I was, I drove, I went to the cell phone parking lot, dropped off Teresa, she went in to pick up our daughter Stephanie, and lo and behold, she sees the Starbucks. And what's a girl to do? <laughs> you buy a coffee. And so, so she ordered a coffee. I'm not a coffee person, I don't understand the coffee thing. I understand candy, but not coffee. And so, so, so she goes up to the Starbucks and she says, you know, I'd like a tall latte vanilla one pump. Now, some of you understand what that means. That's code language, right? But you understand what a latte is. It's that, that drink that has the, the warm milk that's foamed up. I actually asked my wife to get it right because I have no clue about coffee. But she says they put in this warm milk, they foam it up, they put this little squirt of vanilla in it, and they put the coffee in, and that's a latte. Okay, who knew? That's a latte. And so she gets the latte. My daughter comes out. They go, oh, yay, so good to see you. And they're all happy and excited. They buzz me. I come. I pull up. We get in the car. I'm like, yay see you. And we get in the car, we start driving up towards where the wedding's going to take place. And so my wife starts taking a sip of the coffee. She's like, she's like, y'all would like this, because this is really sweet. My daughter and I both love sugar. She gets, comes by it honestly. I mean, just, just so you know, Ben Hale, the missions pastor, at Easter, the trip that came, they, bought, they brought two boxes of peeps, those little <laughs> bunnies, you know, the marshmallow bunnies. They brought them to me, because I can't get them where I live. I love sugar. But, so she goes, oh, you would like this. You would like this because it's really sweet. I'm like, I don't like coffee. You know, so we keep driving on. There's just talking as a good mom does with her daughter we hadn't seen in a while. She takes another sip. She's like, there's just something wrong with this. So we're 10 minutes down the road. She takes off the lid and looks inside. She's like, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> she looked much prettier when she does it. But, <clears throat> but she looks inside, and inside the cup, there is only foamed milk. There is no coffee. I promise you, they served her a coffee with one pump of vanilla and foamed milk and no coffee. They forgot the coffee in the latte. Now, to give them credit, she went back and we flew back in town and said, I'd love my coffee now. (laughs) They're like, what? She told the story. They're like, oh, and then she got her coffee. But at the first time, there was no coffee in the cup. Obviously, something was missing. Very clear. 
Now, sometimes we go through life and we can see things that, are, that, that should go together and aren't there, but we're used to things going together. You think of a bow and a arrow. You think of peanut butter and jelly. They go together. And so when it's missing, we recognize it. But sometimes there's things that we might go a while or we might not ever realize that it's missing. And what I want to talk about is this concept because what Jesus does when he first calls some of his disciples and when he invites us in this journey, this adventure that we have of walking with him, he actually does a couple things that, that actually he desires to go together, sort of like two sides to a coin. There's a heads and a tails. Okay. And so, when Jesus calls his disciples, you'll see in each of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he goes out to talk to some fishermen dudes, he talks, talks to these guys, and he invites them to follow him. And each gospel tells, it, tells a story, but in each case, he invites them to two things. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there's like, there's two sides of a coin. There's the one side that we are to follow Jesus. There's this other side that he invites us to be fishers of men or people. There's this one side that we are called and invited to be disciples, people that seek after him, pursue him. There's this other side that he desires to make us people who are disciple makers, who help others to follow him and pursue him. I don't know about you, I'm a lot more comfortable with one side of the coin than the other. Are any of you like me? I'm much more comfortable reading my Bible, maybe even memorizing Scripture, praying, being involved in a life group, being involved in a program, doing something. But I feel inadequate. How do I make someone a disciple? How do I help someone follow Christ? Maybe I'm going to screw it up. Maybe this is something that's for the professionals. This is for the people with, with degrees and things behind their names. Maybe this is like surgery. I mean, I, you don't want a novice in there like cutting and sewing and all sorts of stuff. They might mess it up. But Jesus has a different perspective about helping people come to know him and to follow him. And he invites us to come alongside and enable us and to point, help, allow us to point people to him. He doesn't call us to change people's behavior. He doesn't call us to make people into something. He calls us to lead people to his son, Jesus. And he works in us to do that. And so today I want to talk about that, the two sides of the coin, that we follow him and he invites us to be a part of people coming to know him that we are disciples, and he actually gives us the privilege of helping other people become disciples of Jesus. And my prayer is that today, as we look at this passage, that each one of us will be convinced that's true, that we won't see it's for someone else at some other time, some other stage in our life, in some other location, but that we'll actually believe that, hey, God actually has this for me. Regardless of my age, regardless of my background, regardless of my abilities. I mean, do you know who Jesus was working with? I mean, fishermen weren't the most savory characters, you know, tax collector, Levi. 
He didn't go out and say, these are the most awesome people and they've got to be the ones who represent my name. He invited regular people to tell regular people about himself. He invited a beggar to tell a beggar where the bread's found. So today as we look at that, I hope that you'll be encouraged in that process. The passage we're going to look at is actually pretty interesting. It's, it's sort of in Jesus' ministry when he, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, you've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and what happens, you know, Matthew, it begins, you have the genealogy, then you have the stories about his birth, focusing on Joseph, then you have John the Baptist, then you have Jesus coming, then you have him calling his disciples, then you have a sort of summary statement, and then you have the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, where Jesus is teaching, teaching, teaching. Then you have chapters 8 and 9, where Jesus is doing all sorts of miracles. He's like healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, I mean, just incredible stuff. Then you get to the passage where we're going to look at today in Matthew 9. And this is the transition point where it goes from the disciples have been learning about Jesus, following him, and now he's about to send them out. Now he's about to ask them to do something. Now he's going to invite them into the process of telling other people about him. He's told them before he's going to do it, and now in chapter 10 is where he actually does it. So we're going to look at this passage right at the end of chapter 9, right when he gives them a perspective, an outlook on what they should have in mind, how they should look at things as a part of being in this process of helping people follow Christ. So I invite you to have your Bibles to turn in Matthew 9, and we'll look at the last few verses of the chapter, verses 35 and following. The passage reads like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm actually going to read it once more. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is the transition point where Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing, doing all sorts of stuff, and he's about to send out his disciples. It's interesting, the first verse is sort of a summary of what Jesus has been doing. It says, you know, he went through all the towns and villages teaching, proclaiming, healing. So it gives this overarching picture of what Jesus has been doing. And if you look at the stories in the previous chapters, you see it. The crowds are following him from one place, and he gets on a boat, and he goes over here, and he doesn't even tell them where they're going, and they, when they come up, and they show up. And, you know, it's just so you have all these stories of Jesus doing things, and some healings, people come up to him, some he sees somebody passing by, he does something. And so you have all this ministry activity of Jesus in the real world. He has come, he has arrived, he has been pointed to by John the Baptist, he has called some disciples, the, the, the king has come, the Messiah has come, he's doing stuff, 
And he's about to invite others to point to him, to introduce him, to explain him, to help the world to meet him. And what does he do? So we first have this summary passage. It says, oh, he, he was doing all these things. And when he looks over the crowd, when he sees a mass of people, what is his response? What is his perspective? What does he see? And the passage says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I, I want to look at a couple things in this verse. First, what is compassion? What's the sheep without the shepherd thing? Compassion. A lot of times we think of compassion as just an emotion. It's like, you know, you see, you see, see a sad thing and you cry or you watch this and it's just an emotion thing. Actually, if you look at this, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at the, this word used in the New Testament, it's actually an emotional response followed by an action. And so this is the same word like when Jesus is going around with the, with the huge crowd that's following him and he goes, these people have been with me three days. They're hungry. He was filled with compassion. And he asked his disciples, what do you have to eat? Get them something to eat. <laughs> and they go, we don't got anything. And they figured it out and they feed the 5,000 or feed the 4,000. And so there's multiple instances like someone comes up to Jesus and, you know, and begs and pleads for something and asks and says, you know, and Jesus has compassion. Or like the time when, when, a, when there's a funeral procession walking down the street in front of Jesus and there's a widow with her only son who is dead is being carried. It says Jesus had compassion and he then raised the son to life. So there's story after, it's the same story actually in the prodigal son. When the father sees the son at the distance, he's filled with compassion and runs to him. Says, kill the fatty calf, throw the party. So this compassion thing is not simply an emotion. Like, there's lots of stories in the scriptures that, that illustrate this. Same thing, Good Samaritan. The good God, the Samaritan, had compassion, took the God, put oil on his wounds, healed him, bandaged him, took him to the end. So compassion is action. So, so Jesus says Jesus has compassion. What's the action that he does? Well, we're going to have to see. Now, we know he's been healing, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, but what action does he take here? Well, it says that Jesus is filled with compassion. Why was he filled with compassion? Why, why, why does he initially have this emotion? Even before he does an action, why is he filled with this emotion? He says, because people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, not many of us are shepherds, I know that, because if you were, it would smell a lot different in here. Sheep were stinky. We used to, we lived in Kazakhstan years ago. We had sheep coming up our, you know, street every day, and it was pretty stinky. Um, but if I'm going to give you a little overview on sheep, three Ds. You ready? You ready? Three Ds on sheep. Dumb, defenseless, delicious. <laughs> Did you catch that? Dumb, defenseless, delicious. They're not the smartest animals in the block. They're missing a few light bulbs. You know, you do the brain-to-body ratio, not so great. Then they've got the defenseless thing. You know, they just don't have too many strong weapons at their disposal between claws and teeth and whatever. You know, and then you got the delicious thing. Who doesn't love lamb? And wolves especially <laughs> like lamb. And so they're just not in a great scenario to be out all by themselves. In the Scripture, you see the illustration of sheep all over the place. I mean, what's Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down by grace. He makes me lie down, right? He leads me by still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you know, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's something about sheep that need help. 
They need protection. They need care. They need provision. They need pretty much everything. <laughs> and what Jesus says is when he sees the crowds, when he sees humanity, he says their real condition is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, it's not that humanity is dumb, defenseless, and delicious. It's that humanity is vulnerable and at risk. Humanity has a problem that they can't solve. Humanity is actually broken. And I think we all know that. We can turn on the news. We know it. We can read, you know, we can, we can look at what's going on in our whole world internationally, and we know it. We can look at politics, and we know it. We can look inside our own hearts, and we know it. This world is broken, we are broken, and we cannot fix it. And that reality is what Jesus sees when he sees humanity. And his response is compassion which is going to be followed by action. But I just want to pause there for one second. Because actually, we live in a society and a culture right now that everybody is trying to make you angry at something. And we all too easily join in. When I am wronged, I get angry. When things don't go my way, I get frustrated. When people aren't like me, I'm offended. And our culture and our society just foments this, whether the rage is real or false. It is choose a side and be angry and condemn the other. Jesus' response when he saw brokenness was compassion. And just honestly, this is something I've been trying to work on really about the last six months. When someone wrongs me, when something goes the way I don't see it, and this, I, I, I go, stop. This is a broken world. They're broken. My solution is not to tell them what they're doing wrong or to speak about what they're doing wrong or what this. My solution is to point them to Christ. My solution is that they can't solve this problem apart from Christ. He is the answer. Not my rage or frustration or anything else. That's hard for me. That was just a side note. But Jesus' response was compassion, brokenness at brokenness. But what does he do? He then moves to action. So what does he do? Well, he continues on. He says in verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Changes images. We went from sheep to farming. And a lot of us are farmers. No, okay. But we all understand the harvest thing, right? We all understand you work for a harvest. You work. You do all this stuff, sowing, you know, filling, clearing the field, making the good soil, doing all this kind of stuff, throwing in the seeds and just praying rain comes and hope you get a great harvest. And the goal is a fantastic harvest. And that's what you want. But what happens if you have this awesome harvest, but you don't have people to bring it in? 
What's the point of it all? If you can't bring it in, what's the problem? You have a harvest but no workers. And that's what Jesus says is the reality of our world. Think about that. Jesus says the brokenness of our world is in reality a potential harvest. And actually the problem is there are too few workers. There's a labor shortage. There are more people willing to listen to Christ, listen about Christ than there are people to tell them. There are more people willing to take a step towards God than there are people willing to walk with them. There's a labor shortage. Now, we're all familiar with labor shortages. I mean, how many of us have been somewhere at a store or a restaurant or a coffee shop where there's a line? <laughs> I see my hand. I see some other hands. Thank you. I, just, I like feedback. That's great. Anytime you see a line, it's not always a labor shortage, but a lot of times it is. A lot of times there aren't enough people around to take care of the people wanting something. Now, have you ever been in a restaurant, like when there's one server and a ton of tables, or like one server for a whole section of a restaurant? Anybody ever experienced that? You're like, you're just waiting. Can I have my water? Can I have a menu? Can I order this? Oh, this is not right. Can you take it back? I, did, I didn't get my salt and pepper. Can I have the, you know? And, and everybody's asking for stuff, and it just invites people said, forget this. I got to go to this place where I can actually get some food. <coughs> people want to eat. They want to order. They want to have a meal, but there's not enough people there to serve them. That's this that's the situation. Harvest plentiful, laborers few. Not enough workers. It's, you know, help wanted. That's the situation Jesus says the world is in. And I, I got to clarify something real quick. The fact that there's not laborers doesn't mean it's easy. They're not called slumberers or laziers. They're called laborers. They're called workers, right? Has anybody ever harvested something? It's a heck of a lot of work. So, so, so just because the harvest is plentiful, just because there's people who will respond, just because, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it doesn't take effort. It doesn't mean that it takes blood, sweat, and tears. I don't want to paint a, a false picture. Unless I do, read on chapter 10, and Jesus will make sure that you don't get this wrong picture. Because Jesus says, when we go out, you will be opposed. Father will go against son, your daughter against mother, that they will be against you, that you'll be called before leaders, that you'll be challenged to turn away. It will not be easier for you than it is for your master. It's not easy. Just because the harvest is plentiful doesn't mean it's easy. It means there is, will be fruit, though. There's a difference. Harvesting a field takes a heck of a lot of work. But there's fruit. There's grain. So he says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Now, if it were me, the next step would be, go, get out there, go, go get them, boy. But what does Jesus say? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. 
This actually may be one of the only prayers in the Scriptures that we're commanded to obey. It's an imperative. We're told to do this. Lord's Prayer is a great example of prayer. It says, pray like this. This one, he says, do this. I, like, taught this passage, I don't know, several times, and I missed this point entirely. <laughs> I'm actually supposed to pray this prayer. Not because it's magic words. It's because this is the action that is needed, that is aligned with compassion to solve the problem. We have a world that is dying, a world that is broken, and we have too few who will tell. And so Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. That's what we're commanded to do. So I actually try to make this a part of my routine. I jog a couple days a week, and when I'm out jogging, I mean, it's funny, when I start, you guys know Isaiah 6, he says the vision of God in Isaiah 6, and the Lord says, you know, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Sometimes when I'm starting out in my jog and praying for people, I'm, I'm saying, here am I, send somebody else. I'm tired. You know, I, I, I'm busy with life. I'm distracted. I'm not, I'm not really thinking about other people. But as I jog and I see mosque after mosque, and I see grocery stores, and I see our veterinarian, I say, God, send someone into this mosque. God, send someone into this, this school that's the middle school that's right down the street from us. Send someone to this coffee shop, you know, that my friend runs right around the corner. Send someone to the, to the little shop I get my milk from every other day right here. Send, send someone to the veterinarian that watches our dog when we're away right here. Send someone to this. God, 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 send someone to this person's family. Send someone here. Send someone there. And then by the time I'm done with my run, I'm saying, God, send me. Send me. Send me. God has a way of doing that. You see, we think of this as a missions passage. Go across the ocean. Go across the languages. Go, you know, somewhere else unlike you and do something that you're not doing normally. But you know who this passage was written to, who it was said to, and where they were going? It's to a couple Jewish fishermen to run around the Galilee to the little villages and tell them about Jesus in their home language, in their home culture, to their own people. See, this isn't something out there, someone else, someplace else, some other time. He invites us to be fishers, to be followers of him and fishers of men. Because the truth is, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are you and me. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are you and me. So let's pray and ask God to send people into our families, to send people into our schools, to send people into our stores, to send people into the prisons, to send people into the government offices, to send people to the, our offices, to send people into our classrooms, to send people throughout our community. Let's beg and plead because it's what is needed. And it's the only solution that God has designed. And then let's listen, because he'll probably be sending us as he makes us fishers of people. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord of the harvest, we ask, we beg, we plead. Will you please send laborers into your harvest field? In the name of Jesus, we pray.